welcome to Wild Places. I'm your host, Brad Clement. This podcast is presented by Panji Foundation, saving snow leopards, helping communities. All right, so Carolyn Kelly joins us today. Now, I I just asked you, you are you a zookeeper? Is that what your title is called? And you said, I'm a carnivore keeper. So you take care of big cats and other big carnivores at the St. Louis Zoo. How in the world did you get involved in, in that profession? So I have kind of an interesting story of how I got to be in that position. Um, what I tell kids is hear my story, but don't follow my example. So the, the way you should go about it is get a degree in biology or zoology or animal science um, and get as much experience as you can working and volunteering with animals. Um, that's not the way I went about it. I al- I've always wanted to be a zookeeper. It's something that I've been interested in since I was a little kid. I've always loved the zoo. And I would go to zoo camp there. And I was just very passionate about the zoo. Um, but as I got older, I had more of that right brain, that art and English and reading, writing type brain than I did the science and math. And so my my teachers kind of led me in that direction and I enjoyed studying that as well. So I actually majored in um, creative writing when I went to college, I went to DePaul University. And throughout all that time, I was still attached to the zoo. I started volunteering at the zoo when I was younger, kind of middle school, high school. And then um, I got a job in guest services when I was in high school. So I started out painting faces and selling balloons and doing that sort of thing. And then when I went to college, when I was home in the summers, I worked for the education department. So I did camp and I did Girl Scout and Boy Scout programs and overnights and night hikes. And it was so much fun. I loved it. Um, And then I graduated from college in 2009. So kind of the worst year to graduate from college, like the peak of the recession. And there were no jobs and nobody was getting any jobs. And so I was thinking, okay, well, how would I just keep working at the zoo? And then I'll apply to grad school. And I was going to go get my MFA. Um, And what happened was I was lucky enough to get offered a part-time children's zookeeper position. At the time, the children's zoo and the education department were kind of closely linked. So I knew people in kind of both those areas and they gave me a chance um, and I loved it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I worked part-time for about a year and a half. And I actually, I did apply to grad school. I did apply to MFA programs and I was accepted into MFA programs the same exact week that I was offered a full-time keeper position in the children's zoo. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe this isn't the right time to go to grad school. Maybe I'll just earn a little bit more money and keep doing this for a while. Um, and then about two years later, I was offered a full-time position in the carnivore unit. And that was eight years ago. I never really looked back. I just, you know, I kind of fell in love with the work and the adventure of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say, I think most, most kids, when you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's astronaut, firefighter, and zookeeper. Like you're you're doing what so many kids 
really kind of say they want to do when they're little. And that's, that's, it's kind of neat. It's, it, it, there's that's a romantic amazing. quality mm-hmm. to, uh, to saying, yeah, I'm a zookeeper. It's the most fun answer at wedding receptions and cocktail parties when people yeah. ask. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you deal w- literally with lions and tigers and, and, and bears. Yes. Like we, this is your every day. It is. What does a day look like for you? So being a zookeeper, it's a lot like being a parent. Um, So, you know, I have a two-year-old son. Um, It's very similar in that routine is important. So every day is kind of the same, but also kind of different. So there's a routine that we stick to, but also anything could happen, right? Because you're working with wild animals. Um, So a typical day for us is we get to work. Uh, We check on our animals first thing, make sure everybody's healthy and looking good. Um, We feed them some breakfast, a little bit of their diet. We usually call them into their bedroom area, into the building, and we'll lock them in there and they'll have breakfast in there while we go out into their yard and we clean it up for them and get it ready for the day. So yes, that does mean picking up poop. Um, That's a part of our everyday life. Like I said, it's similar to being a parent. Um, we also just take care of their pools and the grass and just make sure everything looks nice. We put what's called enrichment out in the yard. So enrichment is something that's really important for caring for large carnivores. Um, it's something that helps to challenge them, to keep them busy, to encourage natural behaviors. For example, with bears, for example, we would encourage foraging behavior. That's something that bears do all day in the wild. And so we make it difficult for them to get their food. We make puzzle feeders and um, hide it and bury it in holes or hide it under logs or offer them big barrels that they can throw around and um, play within the pool and things like that. So um, carnivores also really like scents, like spices and perfumes and fresh herbs and things like that. So we'll put enrichment in their yarn. We do that throughout the day, especially with carnivores. We'll do that between, you know, one and 10 times a day. Um, And when everything's ready, we make sure it's all safe and we'll let the animals back outside. Um, Once they're back outside, we typically clean their indoor area, make sure they have a nice clean bedroom area. So there is a lot of cleaning involved. Uh, Make sure they have a clean nest. Bears in particular love to have a nest to come home to at the end of the day. And they really like to, um, we like to encourage that natural nest building behavior. Um, The rest of the day is filled. It's usually very busy. We have meetings, we keep a lot of records. So very much, it's also a similar profession to nursing in a lot of ways. Um, We're often keeping records and things like that. Um, We will do a lot of training. So that's one of my favorite parts of the job. We train for husbandry behaviors, which essentially empower the animals to participate in their own care. So um, allowing us to examine their paws, they present their paws or their teeth, um, open their mouth so we can see their teeth. And carnivores are so smart that we're actually able to train them to allow us to give injections um, or to draw blood samples from them as well. So if vet staff needs to analyze the health of an older animal, we can actually take a blood sample. And this is all voluntary. If they don't want to participate, they can walk away. Um, We use positive reinforcement. And so a lot of the day is also spent training and 
developing our training skills as well, um, working as a team. So that's a really awesome part of the job. Um, giving keeper chats, giving tours pre-COVID, that was kind of a big part of our day. Um, and then finally, we kind of wrap it up by at the end of the day, um, we'll usually give the animals access to that building, that bedroom area and feed them some more of their diet and just make sure everything's locked up and clean and tidy and ready to go overnight. So it's a very busy um, routine each day. And I'm assuming that every animal has his or her own personality. Do you get to, do you get to know these animals and kind of feel their personality? Definitely. Working with carnivores is amazing because they are certainly not our pets. And I definitely want to stress that these are wild animals, but they're just as smart as your dogs and cats at home. So I care for many species of big cat, all the bears, um, hyenas, African painted dogs. And these are all very intelligent animals. So they certainly know who we are and we get to know them as well. And every single one has a different personality. There's certainly similarities between animals of the same species, but each one is different. They really are. And it's, it's truly a pleasure to get to know each one. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> I always say, this is an annoying answer, but I always say that my favorite is whoever I'm working with that day, because I truly love all of them. Um, I don't know. I think I mean, it's really hard not to feel attached to like Kali, our polar bear is like a, he's a really special guy. So maybe if I had to choose as a species, I've always been drawn to lions and cheetahs as a favorite species. Do you see, let's take big cats. Yeah. Do you see particular species being more aggressive, less aggressive? Are, are there general, you know, general personalities among species where you're like, we have to be careful with these guys. Sure. Um, definitely have to be careful with all the big cats. Um, they are, they're built to kill, you know, that's what they've been adapted for. So they um, are animals that we use a lot of safety precautions with. Mm -hmm. um, as far as individual species of big cats, I would say that, and a lot of the big cats I care for are geriatric cats. So we have a lot of older cats at the St. Louis Zoo right now. Um, so some of them have kind of chilled out over the years, not to say that they are not still cats that could, you know, hurt you. But in general, I think jaguars are usually pretty high strung cats and they move extremely quickly. So, um, you know, we're, we have the same safety protocols for all the cats, but um, jaguars are ones that we certainly keep our eye on. Um, the armor leopards can get a little hissy sometimes, I would say. But um, in general, the cats know their keepers, and I don't experience aggression from the cats in my daily routine of caring for them. Again, not my pets, and I, we certainly practice all the safety precautions, but I don't find that they're like, growling or lunging or things like that at me that because they know who I am and they know what I'm there to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been at this now a long time uh, for, from your early days at the zoo to, to eight years as a full on carnivore keeper. 
did you ever think you would become so involved in essentially global conservation? Because I believe zoos today are so much more than just come look at these animals. They, they almost have to have a role in protection and conservation of species. And, and so what, what is your role there? And how does the St. Louis Zoo handle kind of that corporate responsibility, if you will, of really being a steward of the greater world environment that keeps these animals wild and alive? Sure. Um, I think for me and for my coworkers, that's one of the greatest joys of working for the St. Louis Zoo in particular. And uh, of course, zoos all over the country and all over the world are doing amazing work for conservation. But the St. Louis Zoo being a larger zoo and being such a well-respected um, and such a well-funded zoo really um, allows us the opportunity to do some amazing conservation work. And it's awesome to dedicate your life and your career to that and to have that opportunity. Um, so the thing that I love about the St. Louis Zoo is we have what's called the Wild Care Institute. And the Wild Care Institute's job is conservation work. What I love about that concept is, for example, you have lions and tigers, you have snow leopards and mountain lions, you have all these big apex predators that while in a zoo, they are essentially representing their species and, and allowing us as humans to, to kind of connect with them because we're, mm-hmm. What are the odds we're really going to encounter these animals in the wild? And yet most big carnivores, for sure, most big cats are declining in population. And so these ambassadors, the, these bears and lions that are, are in zoos that are serving as ambassadors, uh, that's fantastic. That's, that's their role and you work with them directly. But really, the conservation work is just an extension because you're, as a zoo, protecting not only the, the animals in your care immediately in the facility, but your, your global reach in protecting these species. I think zoos didn't used to do this, and now they do. And the St. Louis Zoo is so uh, uh, able to do it is is really cool. And I always go back to uh, Marlon Perkins was a huge player in the St. Louis Zoo. And as a kid, I used to watch Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. And the visionary quality of how zoos have grown, uh, it's kind of neat that you're part of that day by day. It definitely is. And I think it's also given me the opportunity to connect with other people who are so passionate about this. Um, in my unit in particular, we work with what's called the Center for Conservation of Carnivores in Africa. And that's kind of our leg of the Wild Care Institute. Um, and that program funds four different programs that work toward the conservation of carnivores in Africa. Um, and one of the major ones that it funds is the Ruaha Carnivore Project, uh, which is just kind of joined up with Lion Landscapes. And the director of that project, Dr. Amy Dickman, I've gotten to meet her several times um, and connect with her. I've gotten to meet Lori Marker, the director of the Cheetah Conservation Fund, which is another project 
that the Wild Care Institute supports. And these women are just so inspiring and the work that they're doing in Africa, um, they're really working to empower communities to participate a lot like the PNG Foundation to participate in um, conserving carnivores and in their own villages in their own areas in Africa. So whether that's um, funding livestock guard dogs or more substantial fences for livestock, livestock or um, the Ruaha Carnivore Project supports these lion defenders. So basically these traditional warriors who are now defending livestock and defending villages from lions so that there aren't um, retribution killings of lions. Um, so it's just really inspiring to see the work that they're doing. And they're also working to train African leaders in conservation. So funding PhD projects for um, Tanzanian students and um, leading local leaders to become the director of wildlife for the Tanzanian government and things like that. Um, and so- So there's, I, there's education and empowerment and livelihood opportunities uh, beyond just saying, hey, we're coming in here and showing you what to do. You're actually exactly. engaging the local communities. Exactly. I think it's a totally different approach than, you know, the whole idea of the Euro-American centric, we need to come in here and save the day type of thing, because mm -hmm. that's not right. You know, we, you've seen, we've created farmland in our country and people need to be able to make a living and create farms and make a living in Africa as well. So I know with like PNG, that's kind of been the approach as well is just empowering these local communities. And um, that's definitely been just so exciting to connect with these women who are really making a difference on the ground um, with these huge conservation projects. So what I love is in that this, this, as we're talking, I just keep thinking, yeah, basically you just said what you do a lot of every day is clean up poop. But but really, really, you you're doing so much more. The fact that you're your boots on the ground with these animals in the zoo enables such a broad reach into uh, not just protecting endangered, threatened species, important species, but also the local communities. And Definitely. so do you ever wake up and think, yeah, wow, I have, I have such a cool purpose. Like I have purpose. Yes. I do feel like that because it is really hard work and mm -hmm. we are out in the elements and, um, there are a lot of challenging aspects to my job, but I never feel that I don't have a purpose when I'm going to work. And I think probably the best example for what you're talking about too, is Cully, our polar bear. Um, He's a massive bear. He's over 1,200 pounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how many of us are going to get to travel to the part of the world, world where you find polar bears? I mean, it's not, it doesn't happen very often. So watching kids have this connection with Cully, seeing him eye to eye at the zoo and making that connection with him, I think it's really impactful, um, especially as climate change, you know, is becoming more and more of a threat. And this next generation really needs to be ready to um, lead the charge in that and make some major changes in our world. And I think connecting with the polar bear in that way and understanding how climate change threatens the future of all these species in the world, including polar bears, um, 
it's, there's no better way to get that point across. So in all of your experience, have you traveled to some of these countries and regions and, and kind of seen the animals that you take care of in the Midwest of the United States, uh, but seen them truly in the wild? So I've been very lucky. Um, the St. Louis Zoo is an awesome place to work because we do get these opportunities. So Cully, our polar bear, he was actually orphaned in Northwestern Alaska. Um, and I actually had the opportunity three years ago to travel with the Wild Care Institute through the Wild Care Institute in a Dexter grant um, to the village where he was born. Wow. Um, and I went with, this was in Point Lay, Alaska. So um, the Northwest coast of Alaska. Um, and I went with a member of our education department and her name is Lisa Ligis and she has done some amazing work partnering with small um, Alaskan villages. And um, they've helped us with our interpretation at Polar Bear Point. So again, the point being not let us tell you how Alaskan communities live with polar bears, but how about let's listen to them and let's listen to um, the people who live with polar bears and whose communities are seriously already being affected by climate change. So as part of that relationship, they've helped us, the students in these villages have created videos about life in the Arctic and life amongst polar bears and how their lives have changed because of climate change. And we play those videos at Polar Bear Point and in return um, pre-COVID, our education staff and our carnivore staff would travel to these villages and we would share education programs with the schools there and just kind of make a connection. Um, and especially in Point Lay, they, a lot of the adults and a lot of the older teenagers remembered Cully from when he was a cub and um, rescued from his orphan situation in Alaska. And so they were thrilled to get updates about Cully as an adult and how his life was going in St. Louis. And actually, even with COVID going on, um, we were able to video conference with the students um, in a couple of the Alaskan Native villages. And we got to show them Cully and kind of give them a behind the scenes tour and just kind of keep that relationship going and make that connection. Um, aside from that, I have had the opportunity to travel to Africa a few times. And of course, it's like one of my favorite places in the whole world. And before COVID hit, I was actually scheduled to go to Namibia and I was going to get to work with Lori Marker at Cheetah Conservation Fund wow. last wow. May in 2020. But of course, flight was booked, ready to go. And then, you know, the world shut down and the trip got canceled. So fingers crossed that that'll happen again someday. But we have had a couple keepers who have traveled to Namibia and gotten to work with CCF, which is also really awesome because we can help help CCF with our skills as keepers as well. So usually when we travel there, we're kind of covering for some of their staff who are traveling back to Europe or the US um, to visit their families to take like a long two or three week break because you know they live in this remote area of Namibia and sometimes they, they need to go see their families. And so when we're there, we can actually help take care of the cheetahs and put our keeper skills to work for them as well and participate in their mission in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a mom now and yeah. do you, do you contemplate uh, 
instilling a stewardship ethic to your child and soon to be two children, I guess. I'm married to a science teacher who is also a biologist, a herpetologist. And um, so that's our, our life. You know, that's our world. We are thinking about that all the time. And I think we thought about it a lot with the decision to even have children and to have a second child as well. Um, because of course, you know, I, I know many people probably disagree with me, but it is of course a strain on resources every time you're having another human being. And so ultimately we came to the decision to have a family be kind of for that reason, because we wanted to, you know, work on the next generation of conservationists and people who are passionate about caring for the planet. And um, that's something that defines our philosophy as parents and what we ultimately want to do. So yes, it is really hard that you don't want to push them too far. My son is too. And quite honestly, he just loves dump trucks and trains, <laughs> you know, as much as I'm like polar bears, you know, but, um, but, you know, I think, my husband is a wonderful example of how to live as a conservationist. Um, as you know, we try to compost and I bike to work every day and we try to make these choices in our everyday life. And I hope that our children will see that and absorb that as we have from our parents. Speaking of the next generation uh, on a larger scale, if you will, what, what would you recommend? Are there any suggestions you could give to kids who just visit the St. Louis Zoo? These are kids who may never travel abroad. They may never go to Africa and see a lion. They may never have a chance to go to Alaska or Northern Canada and, and see a polar bear, but they can see them at the zoo. And, and maybe that inspires them to, to take action or or become a biologist, or who knows what it might be. But do you have any, yeah, words of wisdom for for kind of these kids who come to the zoo and see and feel and hear these animals? I I definitely think so. Um, I think I'm an example of somebody who a child who the zoo worked for, if that makes sense. So I went mm -hmm. to zoo camp when I was a kid, and. I grew up motivated to have a career in conservation because of what I saw and learned from our education department at the St. Louis Zoo. And I think if people, if kids go there, yeah, just take it all in. I mean, just sit quietly and observe the animals because like you said, like how often is it that you get to sit there and watch a lion, you know, and our lions at the St. Louis Zoo are wonderful and they are just, if you just watch them for a while, you can see how they relate to each other and like the subtle things that they do that make them lions and make them their own individuals. And I encourage kids to slow down and kind of channel your inner Jane Goodall and just kind of sit quietly and um, make some observations. And that's the kind of things that we used to do when I was a kid at zoo camp, we'd get like our journals and sit in the birdhouse and sketch the birds and just kind of take some moments to absorb what makes each animal special and what makes each animal unique and what makes each species have an intrinsic worth that's worth 
saving. Um, and aside from that, I would say if you see a zookeeper and you're a kid and you have a question, ask us. We love answering kids' questions. So I am thrilled when a kid has a wonderful question for me about an animal. So please ask away. So you wear a lot of different hats in reality. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I it's There is picking up poop, but it's also, <laughs> we are also educators. We are also animal trainers. We, not me personally, but my coworkers are definitely like engineers and the way they build enrichment items. Um, you know, we were, like I said, it's like being a mom, you know, you just have to kind of be a jack of all trades and tour guides and um yeah there's there's a lot to it there's a lot of different branches to this job is there one moment in time that sticks out in your mind when dealing with these large carnivores you know there's a lot of moments um when i look back i just hit 10 years of full-time keeper work in april so i've been kind of like reflecting on the last decade and just all the special moments that I've had, I think probably one of the most impactful for me was I was there for the birth of Bingwa, our female cheetahs, eight cubs um, in the fall of 2017. And I got to see those cheetahs being born. And the St. Louis Zoo is home to the Cheetah Survival Center, which has been around since the 1970s. And we've had over 60 cheetahs born um, there in that time. But it had been kind of a longer gap between births when I started in the unit. And so Bingwa's cubs in 2017 were kind of the first that we'd had in a little while, I think maybe like eight years or so. Um, and so being there for that moment, you know, to seeing these cheetahs come into the world and knowing that they were kind of taking their place in line and helping to secure a future for this remarkable species. And also just watching Bingwa herself as an individual develop her skills and become a mother. She was a first time mom and she had eight cubs. And this was the first time in accredited zoo history that a mother cheetah had had eight cubs and all eight had survived and all eight had been mother raised. So she did that. Um, we didn't have to, we didn't have to intervene at all. Um, so that, have a drastically reduced gene pool in the wild. Is that correct? And they do. So, um, part, and sorry if we're getting too, too far down a tangent, but cheetahs have kind of a genetic bottleneck because during the last ice age, um, they almost went extinct. There was a small population of cheetahs. So all the cheetahs we have today are descendants of that small population. So, for example, you can actually easily give a skin graft from one cheetah to the other because they're all so closely related that they don't reject that. Their bodies, their immune systems don't reject that. Um, so that makes it difficult for cheetahs. They're sensitive cats. Um, they can have medical issues that are different from other big cats. They don't typically live as long as other big cats. And there's only about 7,500 left in the wild today and only a few African countries and a few in Iran. Um, so it's a very important um, conservation focus and it has been for the St. Louis Zoo my, in my lifetime. Um, so our goal is to build up a genetically diverse population of cheetahs in accredited zoos in North America as 
um, you know, a safety net of for this species. And so being able to participate in that and also just the whole process of seeing her birth and raise these cubs was probably, I think, the highlight of my career so far. That's neat. Where do you want to go? What what is what is down the road in this career of yours? I would be totally interested in management one day. Um, but I also just have goals as a keeper, as an individual keeper. Um, I'm the training coordinator for our unit. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, one of my goals for this year was to hand inject as many animals as possible. So that means like when they need vaccines or things like that, I wanted to train them to allow us to hand injection, hand inject them. So that's kind of like what I've set my sights on for this year and something that I'm working towards. The St. Louis Zoo is free. Is is that correct? It is free. Yeah. So that's a really wonderful part of about it is that we welcome anyone, you know, and that's one of our goals too, is to diversify our guests. Um, and because we are free, it's an educational experience that's open to everyone. And we welcome everyone to come learn about our animals. Carolyn, I can't thank you enough. Uh, again, I go back to, I think at some point, every kid wants to be a zookeeper and that you, you're really doing this uh, is just so neat. And for for what I think uh, is one of really the the greatest zoos around. It's a fantastic resource and that you're behind the scenes every day making that happen uh, is, is so, so just wonderful. So I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing what it's like to take care of these big carnivores and, and the impact that has uh, around the world. So a huge thanks to you. Well, thank you for having me. This was awesome. I feel really lucky to have fallen into this career and um, lucky to be a guest on your podcast today. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, great. Well, great. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll catch you later. Thanks, Brad. All right. See you.